church. And I've been preaching about Nehemiah and the spirit of Nehemiah. And I wonder how many of you have prayed for the spirit of Nehemiah. See, that's what the message has been all about. And until we pray and get the spirit of Nehemiah, you know what we're going to do? Continue to go through the motions of being a Christian. What was and what moved Nehemiah? Whenever he talked to some of his countrymen that he asked them how things were. He said, the walls are torn down, the gates are burned, and the people are heavily afflicted. Nehemiah had no resources to fix the problem. Here he was in captivity down in Babylon, just a cut barrier for the king. But that so broke his heart. He sat down and he began to cry and weep. He began to pray and fast. And God moved on the heart of the king. Not only did he get permission to go and rebuild the walls, but he got a military ex. Uh, uh, got a military escort, got the resources to build the wall, and got there, and the people had a mind to work. The devil did everything to stop it, and so, but the spirit of Nehemiah, every time he was faced with a crisis, he went to God. Amen. And you know something? We need that spirit. Amen. And notice how the people, how hard they had to work, what a sacrifice. They started at daylight. They did not stop until the stars were out. And then he said, I want you to stay on the inside. Not only do I want you to work through the day, but I want you to be a guard at night. And so what I'm saying is, there's a real devil. Our families are unsaved. Our friends are unsaved. Anybody that's not saved cannot go to heaven. And until we get a broken heart to see my husband's lost, my wife is lost, my children are lost, my grandchildren are lost, my neighbors are lost, my co-workers are lost. And God, I want the spirit of Nehemiah with a broken heart, and I want to pray for deep conviction, not just say, Lord, save them. By the way, Jesus saved everybody on the cross. If they'll come to him. And so we need to pray for that deep conviction so they would receive Christ who died on the cross. You see, until we receive him, you know, uh, I told somebody the other day, uh, you know, you could have a million dollars in the bank, die of starvation, uh, if you didn't get some of the money out to buy you some food. Well, Christ died on the cross, and it means nothing to people until they receive him. Then when you receive him, the blood cleanses the sin, get the new birth, we get the Holy Spirit, a home in heaven. And so that's what people need to hear. God loves them. He wants to save them, no matter where they've been, what they've done, how bad the sins are. Thank God. The blood of Jesus will cleanse all sins. And so now we're in uh, the book of 1 John. That's little John, chapter 3. And uh, as I told you last week, it's so easy for people to get confused about what John is trying to say. And so I'm going to very quickly review for just a moment and, and so we get this straight of what John's saying. Okay, uh, well, let me just start at verse 2. No, verse 3. Okay, <clears throat> and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 
And so after we've been saved, how do we purify ourselves? 1 John 2, 1 tells us. He says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. That is the command of the Lord for the Christian. Don't sin. But he did not quit writing. And he said, But and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He said, I don't want you to sin, but if you have sinned, you've got a lawyer. His name is Jesus, and Jesus will tell you to plead guilty. 1 John 1 and 9 said, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now, that's going to help us to understand when he says, on down through here, that, well, let me just go on and then I'll put it all back together, okay? Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in, in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Well, that would be a contradictory to what 1 John 2, 1 has just told us. And so if you notice the word E-T-H, he's telling us here, if we abide in Christ, uh, that we do not continue living in a life of sin. Now, anybody that's been converted, been born again, knows how your life was before you come to Christ. And so, once you come to Christ, those things that we knew to be sin, they were cast aside. But that does not mean that sometimes that a Christian may commit an act of sin, but they don't live in sin. And this is what he's trying to drive across. And, and it's the same thing what, what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6. You know, he was preaching about grace. And so the people was understanding the idea, well, if grace is going to take care of it, uh, then we'll just go on sinning. He said, how that you are dead to sin can live any longer therein. First of all, he said, God forbid. If you're understanding that you're saying that after you're saved, you can go on living a life of sin, he says, that's not what I'm saying. And that's what John is saying, that if we're born to God, we don't go on living that life of sin. Sin may be an exception. We, all of us will do something sometimes that we look at it uh, and say, hey, that's wrong. And so how do we purify ourselves? We go back to the cross. We go back to the blood. Amen. But we don't live a life of sin. And so that's where so many people, you know, uh, I, I'll tell you about... Uh, a fellow that, you know, and you've heard me tell the story some, uh, that my dad called me when I was in Ohio and, and, and said, I want you to come home and witness this guy. And I said, Dad, you got all kind of preachers. It's 300 miles. And uh, I says, get one of them to go, and if he don't get saved, you call me back. He says, I want you to come. I said, Dad, get one of these preachers to go, and then I'll I'll go. Uh, if uh, they can't do any good. He said, I want you to come. I said, okay. So I loaded up, and I came. The guy was in Holden Hospital, and I knew him well, and uh, his dad was a preacher. I knew he read the Bible all the time himself. And so I asked him, I says, why are you not saved? And he said, Hebrews 6. And I said, what about Hebrews 6? He said, well, the way I understand that, if you get saved and you commit sin, 
there's no hope for you. And I says, notice who he wrote to. He wrote to the Jews, the Hebrews. And he told them that, and when they got saved, these Judaizer teachers would go back and try to get them to turn back to the law. See, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And so what that's talking about, he's saying that once you've tasted of the heavenly gift, you've been born again, and you turn back to the law, there is no more sacrifice for sin. And so when I explained that to him, he got saved. And, you know, he got in a singing group, and he was just happy, one of the happiest men I ever saw. And uh, on the, when he took his first communion, he called me, and, boy, he was just lit up. And what I'm trying to say is, you know, if scriptures are out of context, or you don't know the context, and they apply them. Now, he was afraid he wanted to get saved, but he was afraid if he'd done something wrong, he'd be doomed for hell. So what he was trying to do is wait up to the right time for him to die and then pray. And, and so, you see, it'd be so easy to misunderstand these scriptures in the same respect. If we didn't have 1 John 2, 1 back here and, and 1 John 1, 9, uh, then we could see where you'd really be confused. So let me go on now. <coughs> little, little children, verse 7. Uh, uh, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He says, if you're saved, you're going to live a righteous life. You're not going to be living uh, in sin. And, and, and then in verse 8 he says, He that committeth, and always remember that word E-T-H, means a continuation. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning, for, the, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so he's saying the people are living in sin and practicing sin, and that's their life. They're the devil. I mean, you know, that ain't rocket science, is it, Tim? That's easily understood. People out here claiming, I'm saved, and they're still out here in the liquor bottle, and they're still out here committing fornication and shacking up and committing adultery and uh, gambling and stealing and lying and said, boy, you know, I'm saved. No. He says, they're the devil. Amen? All right. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God. Now, there's the key. Whosoever is born of God doeth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. You get a new nature when you get saved. The nature of the flesh and the Adam nature, it's natural to sin. We get born again, it becomes natural to live for God. But he said there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. So the flesh still would like to sin. The devil encourages us to sin. And the world said you're not going to have any fun until you do. But you know something? The Bible said, be not drunk with wine where there's success but be filled with the Spirit. And if we walk after the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So see, we got power. Will we be tempted? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says absolutely. There is no temptation uh, uh, common to man, but uh, taken unto man, but uh, you know God's faithful who will not let us be tempted above that which is able. So all of us will be tempted. Yes, the devil will tell us, go commit adultery. He'll tell us, uh, you know, don't take this. 
uh, have an unforgiving spirit, tell us everything. And the flesh, that's the old man. But you know something? I'll get that verse right quote in a minute. There is no temptation take you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted above that which we're able. In other words, God won't let the devil put the last straw on the camel's back. So we're all tempted. If you're honest, you're tempted to do things. You're tempted to, I mean, you, you just want to maybe punch somebody in the face. You may, somebody may have done something to you and you just don't want to forgive them. But see, the power of the Holy Ghost is what gives us power to do it right. And so it's his job after we're saved to lead us and guide us into all truth. And so, so many times Christians live so frustrated because they will not let the Holy Spirit <coughs> lead their life. They want to be in control. They're going to, they're going to do this. But you know something? We must allow the Holy Spirit to give us power over the flesh, the devil, and the world. That's why I tell you every morning I do that. I get up in the morning, I ask God to fill me with the Holy Ghost, give me power over the flesh, the devil, and the world. I'm no match for this flesh. I'm no match for the world. And I'm no match for the devil, but the Holy Ghost is. Yes, and so I get up in the morning, give my conduct to him, and whenever it looks like uh, the devil's tempting me or trying to get me into something or saying something or doing something, Holy Ghost knows, say, do it this way. You see? And then you've got somebody to guide you. You've got somebody to give you the power to do it the right way. And so, but we keep trying to live the Christian life in the energy of our flesh. Now, <clears throat> what, what does Ephesians chapter 6 tell us? It tells you and I that we are going to be tempted by the world. It tells us to put on the whole armor of God. He says, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places. And so, so that we can have the power over the wiles of the devil, he said, be strong in the Lord. But the devil tells us to be strong in ourselves, And it says in that verse, in the power of his might. You have that power. Now you can turn the switch off and live your life in anger and frustration and, uh, you know, not live in joy of the Holy Ghost and the way God wants you to live. You can do that. But boy, you're going to be miserable. You know, it's, it's so much easier, and I've told you this over and over, Somebody does something to me, I forgive them right then. Let me tell you why. God told me to. He said, if you don't forgive Joaquin, I'm not going to forgive you. Don't bother asking me if you're not willing to forgive. So, now if somebody's done something that's really frustrated me, I forgive them because here, again, first God told me to, and second is, if I don't forgive them, I'm in trouble. Why should I be in trouble? Because somebody else has done something wrong to me. Now, how's that make sense? So I just forgive them and let God deal with it. Say, preacher, ain't that hard to do? No, if you give up your conduct to the Holy Spirit. If you want to be, still be that old tough guy and that old, no, you can't. Or you can just let the Holy Ghost 
take care of the problem. God will. But we just think, I prayed about this and I just can't stand them. And ooh, you know. You can live like that, but I'm going to tell you something. You are going to be a miserable person claiming to be a Christian. Okay? Let's go on. Verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. God's children do not live in a constant, habitual life of sin. When they get converted, they get a new nature. It's natural to do right. And then they let the Lord give them power. And if they do mess up, thank God he told us how to be purified. Get back to the cross. Okay? You say, well, I'll just go ahead and do this, and uh, then I'll just run and pray. Well, I tell you, First John 1, 9 is not just a bar of soap. It's for when we mess up without intent, and we sometimes let the devil trap us, and sometimes we put ourselves in a position where that, you know, we may not act the right way or say the right thing or do the right thing. And so that's why First John is one nine's in there in First John two one. Not so we can live in sin and then run over and say, Oh Lord, forgive me. What did he tell the lady that was caught in the act of adultery? You know, law said stone her to death. And uh, they were accusing her. And told Jesus, the law says stone her death. What do you say? Jesus didn't say anything. He just got writing down saying, there's where was you at last night. Bill, where were you? And they got to looking at that and they took off. Now see, Jesus knew where they'd been, what they were doing. Here they're accusing somebody. Whatever he wrote on the ground probably would have had them stoned to death. And then he looked at the lady and he says, where's your accuser? She don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn thee. See, the blood of Jesus will cleanse anything and everything. And, and so he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Okay, don't be doing that. So he will forgive, but he don't expect us to continue living in that sin. Amen. Does this make sense to you? Okay, all right, okay. Uh, either, I'm back in verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. See, no matter what people try to say, oh, I believe in God, I go to church, I carry my Bible, I read it all the time, but they're living like the devil. He said, you're not of God. I have people all the time trying to tell me that. Buddy, I believe in God. I read my Bible all the time. When were you born again? Well, I, 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 you know, I, I do the best I can. You know they're not going to heaven. God said they can't. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes we let people slide. I have people all the time say, you know, my, my doctor, he, he was going to do surgery on me and he told me he's going to pray for me. His God might be a Hindu God. And uh, he may have a religion that, uh, you know, uh, if you step on a frog, you may be killing Grandpa all over again. He might have come back as a frog. Can't kill no cows. Can't kill rats. Because that might be one of your ancestors. They believe in reincarnation. They believe in God. But what God? 
I ain't going to say what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking, I am going to say. Would you want Nancy Pelosi praying for you to her God? She needs to find the God of heaven. She wouldn't do what she does. Well, so I, Lord, I went ahead and said it. I may get in trouble. But anyway, back to verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's never changed. God expects people to love one another. Okay? Now, notice he tells us not the kind of love that he has, uh, that someone has. Look in verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and slew his brother. He said, I want you loving your brother like Cain loved his brother. Because notice what he did. And wherefore slew him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. You know why Cain killed Abel? God says, I want you to bring a blood sacrifice. That's what Adam and Eve had taught. Now remember, their fig leaves didn't get the job done for them. God had to slay an animal and, and, and cover them with the coat or the skin of that animal. So they taught their boys that God requires a blood sacrifice. You can't cover your own sin. And so Cain, or Abel, brought the blood sacrifice. Cain says, hey, I'm a farmer. I'm going to bring you a bushel of corn. God says, Cain, I'm not going to accept that. Cain says, but, you know, he's, he's got animals. I've got corn. I'm going to give you what I got. God said, no, you're not. And so what did he do? He got jealous of his brother. You know what causes people to treat people, their brothers and sisters in Christ? Jealousy. Jealousy. One singer is jealous of another. One preacher is jealous of another. Somebody in the congregation is jealous over somebody, maybe uh, because maybe they're doing a little better financially or got a little better home. They just get jealous. So they say negative things about them. And I'm, I'm going I'm to point out a verse here to you that you may have never saw because God pointed out to me today. You've heard me say, like, God will jerk a verse out like 3D. Well, he jerked one out today. I don't know if I ever really paid that much attention to what God said, but he, has, he, he wants me to emphasize it tonight. So let me hurry so I can get there. Okay? He killed him because his works was evil, and his brothers tried to got jealous of him because Abel did it right, and he didn't do it right. And when you live right, and people in the church don't live right, guess what they're going to talk about you? That's what they're going to do. People you work with, if you're doing it right, you say, no, I ain't going to talk about the boss. I might pray for him or her, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Then those who want to slay their boss, they're going to talk about him and get mad at you because you wouldn't. That's, you see, it's all jealousy. Okay, let me go on. Marvel not. Don't be amazed. That's what that word means. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now, if you're going to live right, Jesus said, if you live godly, you shall suffer persecution. Because people who don't want to live right are going to persecute you and try to bring you down to their level. And, and, and the scripture says, don't be amazed 
if the world hates you. Jesus said they hated me. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Why are they going to hate you? Because you love them and trying to tell them how to get to heaven, and they don't want to hear that. They want to believe their works can get them there. They want to believe that their church membership can get them there. They want to believe so many things can get them there. And so when you're doing it right, you've been born again, and tell them they need to be born again. Now, they hated Jesus for that. They're going to hate you. And, and so, you know, if there's anything we ought to get persecuted for, it's because we're doing living right. Amen? By the way, why not live right and get talked about than live wrong and get talked about? Because either way, you're going to get talked about. So why not just live right and let somebody talk about you? And on your way to heaven, by the way, if they're talking about you because you ain't living right, you're on the way to hell, but they're still talking about you. Everybody has an opinion of you. Your husband, your wife, your children, your neighbors, your co-workers, everybody's already built up an opinion of you. They don't like her. He's too bossy. He's too this. You know what? He thinks he's so smart. He may have spent three years or four years getting a degree and working on an automobile and because they can't fix a flat. You know? You get mad. Jealous. Okay, let me hurry. So don't don't be don't be surprised when two people talk about you. But if we're talking about you, let it be because you're doing it right. Amen. We know, verse 14. Now lots of people says, I know I got saved because I I I I I was looking up one day and there's a bright light and there's a you know and I knew that I was saved. Or an angel came in my bedroom and so I know I'm saved. I'm gonna tell you, God, I'm gonna tell you how you know, and I know how I'm saved. He's gonna tell us right here in this next verse. We know that we have passed from death, and that's before we come to Christ, unto life. Because we love the brethren. I'm going to tell you something. Anybody that's converted and born again loves the brethren. Boy, I hit a dead ground there. Hey, somebody in here don't love somebody. I mean, it's just like, like you know how short it is? Man, when I said that, it's just like, man, I got a ground up here. Dead ground. I'm going to tell you something, folks. You want to go to heaven? We got to know what this says. And we got to do what it says. And we got the power to do what it says, the power of the Holy Ghost. So watch this now. We know that we pass from death and life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. If you don't love the brother, you're not life. You're dead. Spiritually, he's talking about. So, that doesn't change everything we think about what we think about a brother. If he's doing wrong, pray for him. If he's done you wrong, forgive him and pray for him or her. Amen? Amen? So, let me, let me go on. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. 
Well, I'll tell you what. That's pretty penetrating. God views somebody who says they're saved and hates their brother as a murderer. Man, that stuck out to me today. God's saying, if you hate your brother, I view you as a murderer. Now, this is what he went on to say. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. That ought to change our attitude. That ought to change our thinking. That ought to think, hey, God, I'm not going to hate that brother or sister. Whatever they're doing, you're going to take care of that. We're not our brother's uh, uh, judge. You stand before the judge of all judges who has all the records. Yes, amen. amen? And because man of God views us as a murderer, that ought to change our thinking when the devil goes to telling us how no good that person is or, you know, you know, you just don't like them. Whatever it is. And we don't let him monkey with our mind. If you know the person ain't doing right, pray for them. Amen? Amen. If somebody's got down, you know what he says? People act like they're so spiritual because they've never really done something. Say this guy goes out and gets drunk after he's been converted, been in church a while, and you know this, you know, on this one act, he does that. And you know what the Bible says? You that are spiritual, restore him. Get him back to the cross. But what do we do? You know what he's done? We put our foot on him and we'll twist it. And just, you know, they said he was saved. 